So today we're going to continue the series called Rooted. And uh, last week I took a very, very brief look at the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I got so wound up in the names of God that I ended up not getting really to the end of the sermon. <laughs> so I kind of blew through the end of the sermon. So today I'm going to do the end of that sermon, this sermon, and then another one. I would probably be out of here by 1230. Um, just kidding. But what I did do is I included a handout for y'all. So in, in the bulletin, and if you didn't get one, there are some more bulletins in the back. There is a handout of the names and characteristics of God that are found in Scripture, and that is four pages long. God will be <laughs> who God will be in our lives. He shows up and has in an, an, an powerful and amazing ways. The, the other one is, there's another one that just takes the Lord's Prayer, and it's from the book, you could, could You Not Tarry One Hour?, which is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples kept falling asleep. And that breaks the Lord's Prayer down, as I was talking about last week, into sections. So I wanted to give you those as uh, tools, because this is all about building our spiritual toolbox, right? That's what this Rooted series is all about. Because we want to have as many options as possible for spiritual growth. You know, um, you never know on, on a given day, sometimes I'm just not feeling it in prayer. I, I'm having a hard time praying, but maybe that's a day that I can study or a, a day for small groups. So all of the things that we do to help us in our journey are, you know, we want to build this spiritual toolbox so that we can do that. Um, the goal remains the same as it has been for ages is to become one as the father and son are one to so align with God's will that we're able to naturally be the people that he's called us to be now we battle ourselves a lot so it's hard to do that and that's why we need all these tools in order to be as successful as we can so today we're going to start look get started looking at bible at, and bible study and that takes me back to a section from last week this that that talks about uh, when jesus said this in john 4 34 where he talks about my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. His will or, or his food was to align with God's will. So when we align with God's will, then we're able to follow through with that. If you don't know what, you, what, what God's will is, then we're less likely to achieve it. So we continue to seek to figure that out. Um, so what, how do we know that, though, right? And that's part of this whole series is grab these tools from the toolbox to help with that. I can tell you this, that a critical piece is to begin and end all decision times with prayer, it, you know, beginning with prayer, asking God in and ending to, to continue that process of revelation is important. Another thing I can tell you about God's will is God's will will always, always, always align with Scripture. God gave us the word as a way for us to, to, to get to know him and to build relationship but also as a way for us to keep from erring and from going too far off one way or the other. And you'll remember this slide, if you were here last week, talked about the Methodist, quad, the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which for us as United Methodists is uh, a piece of our theology. How do we do theology? It's a quadrilateral. It has four pieces, but it's not an equilateral quadrilateral. Say that with me five times. Equilateral. No, I'm kidding. Um, all parts are not equal. So the way that this works is that our reason, our experience, and our traditions in the church inform our understanding of Scripture. Scripture is primary. And, and so these elements, at our reason, our thought process, you know, you will not hear me say 
The Bible says that I believe it. That settles it because we all come to the Bible with our own perspective and our own understanding. And that's why we need each other to bounce stuff off of to, and to, to hear whether we're on track or off track to get feedback from one another. But we bring our brain, turn your brain on when you study. Don't turn your brain off. Turn your brain on. Use your brain. You're given a brain. Use it. Use it. Bring that in. Bring your experience in. Because you have a different experience than me. And God has revealed things to you differently than he's revealed things to me. And if I bring mine and you bring yours, we get a better picture of who God is. And we've been at this for a long time, thousands of years now. We have a tradition that is powerful from forefathers, patriarchs, matriarchs. There are people who have gone before who have spent lifetimes studying. And to throw that away and to not pay attention to that would be silly, right? So we grab hold of some of those writings and some of that understanding so that we bring our brain, our experience, and those traditions all into how we read Scripture and how to understand Scripture. Did you know that God's Word is not always easy to understand? (laughs) It's hard sometimes, and that's okay. Did you know that He's God? He's smarter than we are. Just saying, sorry, oh, I might have hurt somebody's feelings. Um, he's smarter than us, he, he, you know, so we're not going to understand everything, but we can understand a lot, and we can learn, and we can grow. Here's the thing, though, if Scripture is primary and critical to our understanding of God and to our faith, then perhaps we ought to spend some time in Scripture. Amen? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if this is God's Word to us, then we probably ought to spend time with it. Now, there's a lot of new and seasoned Christians who have this story about their attempt. I'm one of them, to read the Bible cover to cover. It usually goes something like this. It was going great when they got into Genesis, and they started reading about all the crazy stuff going on in Genesis, and Noah and the ark, and Abraham and Sarah, and all that. And it's awesome, right? There's story after story after story, and it's fun. All the stuff we learned when we grew up, if you grew up in the church, all those fun stories. And so you're going, hey, this is all right. And then we get to Exodus, and Exodus is Moses and the Egypt and the ten plagues. And it's like, yeah, this is great. And then we get to Leviticus. <laughs> and the rituals and the laws. And then we get to Numbers. And it's like, <laughs> and then we get to the fifth book in the Bible, which is known as Deuteronomy, <laughs> which means the fifth book of the Bible. <laughs> See, our youth are smart. That's right. We got this. And we quit because <laughs> it's like, uh uh-uh, I am now lost, you know. Um, here's the thing. It, it's true. It's absolutely true that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and reproof and, and, ad- and correcting and training in righteousness. Paul wrote that in 2 Timothy 3.16, and it is absolutely true. But we need to recognize this. The Bible is not like all other books. The Bible is not like any other book, honestly. It isn't necessarily meant to be a cover-to-cover read. You know, it's not start here and end here. In the Protestant Bible, most Protestant Bibles, we have 66 books. 66 books written over time that come together for us, but they don't come together in a linear fashion. So if we're reading the, trying to read the Bible in a linear fashion, what happens is we quit when we get to Deuteronomy. 
because it's not meant to be read that way. Now, you can. I've done that, too, and I've you know, struggled my way through and read it cover to cover. You know why? So that I could say that I read the Bible cover to cover. Isn't that silly? But whatever. Welcome to Mike Devine's world. I did that <laughs> more than once. Um, <laughs> but the Bible is, 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 is a powerful book, but it's also a unique book. There are different genres. There are different types of literature in Scripture. And each of those genres, and this is a use-your-head thing, each of those genres is meant to be read differently. Each of those genres is. So starting at Genesis and trying to read straight through without a strategy around that is going to get frustrating. You know? And if you try to apply one lens to the whole word, you're going to get frustrated. So it's better if we begin to examine what we're reading. And you can classify the genres in various ways, but I'm going to do it in this way. They typically fall into these categories. There's historical narrative. And this is, I gave you this handout as well, just so that you'd have it. I was going to do this sheet, and I thought I'll just give them slides. <laughs> I'm lazy. Um, so historical narrative. And the, you can see the books up there. While most of the books in the Bible do have history in them, they do have elements of history, these are historical writings. This tells what's going on in the nation of Israel, what's going on for uh, the early church and the Acts of the Apostles. And so it, this, this historical narrative writing is a place that you're going to find a lot of the Bible stories that we do grow up with in, in, in our you know, early faith journey. But when you read history, you read it a specific way, right? You're reading it as a factual accounting of what was going on. Wisdom literature... This is Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, some of the Psalms. Wisdom literature focuses on what it means to live well. What, how to, you know, it's, it's insight. It's to give us wisdom about how to live. Some of the language is poetic and figurative. So it can't always be read the same way that you would read history. Does that make sense? Here's one. Proverbs 13, 14. It tells us that teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Does that mean that there's a fountain out there? <laughs> You know, that, that, that teaches us. No, there's not like in the center of the square. That, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about a little, you would read, if you were reading history, you'd be looking for a fountain. But what it is saying is that it, the Bible, this, the, the word of God is a continuing source of intellectual and spiritual nourishment for us. It's a fountain that gives us life and it's powerful. Then we get to poetry, and there's a lot. You're beginning to see some overlap, too, right? Job again. Because the Bible, not everything is ka-chunk, ka-chunk. You know, we've got to spend time with it. A lot of the Old Testament books contain portions of poetry. But these books are the ones that are written as verse 3 of these. In, in fact, I think it's Job, uh, Psalms, and Ecclesiastes. No, Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes are, are written as verse. But it's not like poetry that we're familiar with in English, right, which is uh, meter and rhyme a lot of times. Prose is a little bit different, but meter and rhyme for, for poetry. Hebrew poetry creates an emotional impact by foca focusing on balanced and parallel lines. So here's an example. Psalm 24, 3 through 4 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Those lines are in parallel. So, so who is it that, that, that repetition drives the point home? Who is it that may ascend the mountain? Who is it that stands in the holy place? 
And the second part of the, of the rhyme is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart and doesn't worship idols. So that's how Hebrew poetry works. And it's a little bit different than what we're accustomed to in the English world. So that's, and we're only, we're only through three genres, right? So what would happen if you read Genesis as, as pure poetry? And you're looking for this metering in the, or, or this, this, this parallelism. You're going to miss stuff, right? What if you read poetry as historical narrative? And you're just going in going, this is absolute fact, and it's just what it's going to be. You miss something. The Bible, it, it requires us just, <laughs> you're going to hear this a lot. What do you do with your brain when you're reading the Bible? Turn it on. Think. Use it. There's a lot that, you know, we've got to be able to use our brain. Prophecy. Now we're getting, we're getting into another area that's powerful. There's some major prophets and minor prophets. Um, the reason Lamentations is up there is that we believe Jeremiah wrote it, who is one of the prophets. The prophetic literature focuses on God's word through his prophets. Now, generally it was the Israelites were screwing up. Well, they did this a lot. And God sends somebody to say, if you don't get it together, you're in danger of judgment. And that was kind of the prophetic process. So when you read a prophet, you look for what is God saying? Because it's not always clear exactly what God's saying. Because it, it, these can be, you know, some hidden subtext. I mean, Isaiah was writing to the Israelites and writing about Jesus. I mean, there's, there's depth to this that, that's incredible in God's word. But it's essential to understand who God is talking to when, when you're reading through the, through the prophets and the message he's trying to convey. So, and that helps, though, because if I'm reading Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, any, Amos, any of these guys, I'm looking for what is going on and what is he saying. This isn't just a historical thing that I read for facts. Something's going on or the prophet's not involved. So what is going on and what is God saying to, to them and how does that work for me today? Is this a message that carries forward from that point to this point? Because God writes deep, deep. There's a surface understanding and there's a deep understanding. That's who God is. But when you're reading uh, one of these books from the prophets, you don't read it the same as you do Genesis. You look at it differently. And then we get into this. This is a apocalyptic literature. If you've ever read Daniel and Revelation, Revela say it with me, Revelation, Revelation, there is no S. <laughs> Often, I'm in Revelations. Well, I'm glad that God is revealing a lot of stuff to you, but John had one revelation and he wrote about it. It's the revelation of John. And, and revelation is, is symbolic literature. It's just so much. You know, he writes about all this stuff that he's seeing, and it's descriptive, and, and he's seeing these things with wings and all of this stuff. You know, you try and read that literally, you're going to be way off. You know, there's so much symbolism, and it's tough to understand apocalyptic literature. It's hard. It's hard to do. Dreams and visions translated into symbols and, imag and imagery. It's the most difficult of the genres to understand. Do not read Daniel and Revelation as straight writing. There's more to it. It's, it's, it you know, you're going to have to, you may have to do some study. Remember that tradition thing? 
You may have to go to some of the people who have written about this stuff and learn from them what they thought this was about. Because they're not going to agree either. Symbolism and imagery is not translated or understood, interpreted the same by many people. So it's critical for us to spend time looking at that. That's why Revelation is such a powerful book. And you've got so many different theologies out there about it. Saying, well, this is when the second coming is. And there's going to be a, a rapture. One group says there's going to be a rapture. One group says there's not. And then what about the pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation rapture? And all of this stuff happens. You know why? Because it's written in symbols and imagery, and we don't know. We don't know. You know who does? God. And it comes back to that at the end of the day. If I don't understand, I trust that God does. Because if I didn't, I'd be in a world of hurt, right? And then we get to the fun, a little bit, get out of that into some, some stuff that, that uh, is a little more fun. Anyway, Gospels and Acts. I can include them together. Um, the Gospels often get lumped in with the historical narrative books for the simple reason that there's a slew of history in them, right? But there's a difference. Who's in the Gospels? The primary character, Jesus. It's about the life death and resurrection of Jesus. You know somebody we ought to spend some time getting to know? I'm just saying. <laughs> the Gospels are critical to our faith, critical to our faith to understand uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and to grab hold of those and, and to, to learn about this, who Jesus is and what he was about and just the, 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 the characteristics that he had and, and how is he both human and God and all of these things and the Gospels help us with that. But the thing about that there's so many, that there's four of them is each writer brings a unique perspective into their writing. And that's incredible. God is so cool. You know, if you see an accident, and this is also helpful for us in, our, in defending our faith. If you see an accident, is everybody, every eyewitness going to say the same thing? In fact, if they do, any police officers in here? What does it mean if they all say the same thing? It's rehearsed. They're lying. You know, because we see from a different perspective, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. The Acts is, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote Acts. Oftentimes they're combined and called Luke-Acts because they, what, they flow into each other. Um, the Acts is, is, uh, also speaks to the church, the early church that Jesus establishes. Jesus is in the beginning of Acts, and then it moves into the life of the church, which is an important place for us to go as well. And the last genre I'm going to talk about today is epistles. An epistle is a letter. Lots of letters got written. We don't have all the letters, but what we believe is that we have the ones we're supposed to have. <laughs> that, that the, you know, that's how we get scripture, right? So these letters that Paul wrote and that James wrote and Peter wrote and John and Jude, they, they were letters that helped the early church to grow and to become who God created them to be. And there's some consistencies about letters. There's a greeting. If you look at any of the letters in the New Testament, it starts out with a greeting. Then there's the body of the letter, and then there's a, an ending or closing, closing remarks. Every one of them does that. You know, Paul often thanked people, you know, at the end of his letters. You'll see that consistently. That was a Greek manner of writing. They're about instruction and correction and encouragement for the first century churches. Now, some of the books have multiple genres. And, and that's another important thing when you go. Study is, is, is an important thing, but it's not always an easy thing. 
there's genre hopping going on throughout in Daniel. There's a historical piece to Daniel, also an apocalyptic piece to Daniel. There's a lot going on in there. Acts works as both history and gospel. It's still about Jesus, but it's also the history of the early church. Proverbs is a wisdom book that contains poetry elements, you know, and you'll see that. If you have one of the, when you're reading your Bible, poetry is most often kind of set apart. It'll be going along straight line, and then there'll be this, this kind of staggered writing in there. Staggered writing is an indication that you just change genres. So this that you're reading one way, this is different, and it, and it invariably goes back to that straight writing. Bible, that's helpful for us to pay attention to what we're reading and where we're reading it. The point in all of this is that if we learn that there are many genres, it helps us understand Scripture. It makes Scripture reading a lot easier to not try to do it through one lens. In fact, you'll be more accurate, it'll make more sense, and you'll begin to go, oh, that's why. That's why Balaam's donkey can sit in the road. It's not meant to be this. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things that did Balaam's donkey? I don't know if it did or not, but that's not the point of that kind of writing. The point of that was that that God had a message that he wanted to give, and he gave it in that fashion. So, so certainly God can make a donkey talk. That's not in question to me. Did he? Not the point of the story. Not worth an argument with somebody who says donkeys don't, don't do that. Like, well, that's, that's fine. I believe God can do that, but that's not the point of the story, you know, and we don't have to get into those arguments. To put it simply, if you know you're reading poetic, poetic literature, then you read it differently than you read historical literature. And we tend to misinterpret the Bible when we read all genres as the same. Here's the good news. Study of Scripture is a lifelong endeavor. It's a lifelong endeavor. It's going to challenge you. It's going to deepen your faith. It's going to humble you. <laughs> the more you study, because anybody will tell you that the more that you, that, that you study and the more you learn, you realize the less you know. Because one answer to one question leads to five more questions. The more we learn, the more there is to learn. The depth and breadth of God's word is truly, truly incredible. But when you go through deep waters, you know who's with you? God. He doesn't say, good luck. That's not what he does. He says, invite me in. I've got, I'll walk through this with you. But it's best to enter into study humbly. Enter into study with the understanding that God is infinite and I am finite. I'm never going to get it completely. But God wants me to know him. And this study over time is going to draw me closer and closer to understanding who he is and what he's about. And that helps me to, be, to draw nearer and nearer to being one as the Father and Son are one, which remains that goal. Okay. Okay, Mike, I'm bored to death. You've given me all this information, enough information. You said in the beginning you were going to help me. To, how do I do this? Where do I read? What do I do? Well, here's the main point. Study the Bible, please. <laughs> read the Bible. That, you know, there's a lot of plans and paths and stuff out there for, for biblical study. You can grab one if you want, but start. You know, just it's the main, main point is that we need to start. We need to read. We need to study. I have some suggestions. I'm going to go to those. But the main thing is to study Scripture, even if it's a little at a time, even if it's one verse a day 
Sometimes one verse is all is enough to spend a week with. But even if it's one verse, one paragraph, one chapter, whatever it is, grab hold of your Bible or your, you know, uh, version or whatever, your app, whatever it is, and spend time just doing an audio book. I, I don't care. God's Word will accomplish what it sets out to. The main thing is that it won't, set, it won't accomplish anything if we don't spend any time with it. Whatever methodology you use, blogs, blogs, I don't care. But just spend time in God's Word and understand we are in, how long is this going to go on for us as believers? Forever. It's a lifelong endeavor. Lifelong endeavor. And the more that you know, the more you're going to realize I've got more to learn, which is kind of cool. You know, God's Word's alive and it's going to keep revealing itself. The another thing is this. Wow moments begin and end with prayer. Wow moments begin. Say that with me. Wow moments begin and end with prayer. When you study, when you read, first step is prayer. You know, and, and it's kind of, there's another use your brain, right? I want to understand God's word. Who should I invite into the conversation? God, yeah. It's like, you know, come on, come on, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. <laughs> Come on in. Open the eyes of my heart. You know, we sang this stuff this morning, but that's what we want. It's like, Father, open the eyes. I don't get this. I'm, in, I'm trying to read through numbers. Help me out here, you know. Um, but invite the Holy Spirit in. Or I'm trying to read Revelation. Or I'm, I'm, whatever it is. It doesn't matter where it is. Just invite God in. And at the end, don't just let it sit there. Invite him to continue this process that he's starting with you. Lord, I, I, help me to continue to reveal to me. That which you would have me to know in this time. Anybody in here ever read a passage of Scripture 15 years ago and then read it again and it was different? Isn't that crazy? That's kind of crazy. But God's Word is alive. And, and, you know, I'm grateful for this. God does not always reveal everything all at once, which is great. You know, because if He did, oh, my goodness. I'd be like, oh, I'd be Oprah. Oh, only it'd be like this, help, you know, <laughs> instead of, oh. It'd be, yeah, you know, because there's so much that, gosh, 20 years ago, I couldn't handle the stuff that I know today. I wouldn't have known what to do with it. Anyway, so my personal suggestion in this good one, that's why I gave you the handout, really because of this thing. <laughs> this, uh, these, uh, this is the, the place to start, it, in my view, is the New Testament and start with the Gospels. Mark, Matthew, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels. They include a lot Mark is thought to have been written first, actually. I know Matthew's the first one in there. Mark is thought to have been written first, and Matthew and Luke knew about it, and so there's some, some common information in there. Uh, but each is written from a different perspective, and you can see there's some, the triple tradition means that it's in all three. The Mark and, you, you can just follow it. Mark and Luke, Mark and Matthew, and some that's unique. Some is a double tradition between Luke and Matthew. So, so there's some overlap, and I'll explain a really cool tool as well. Uh, but each is written from a different perspective, and that's really, really cool. Uh, they're known as synoptic because synoptic means they're common, uh, common, and they're connected. John has a different style of writing completely, and I love John. In fact, in a minute, I'm going to tell you to start there, but I'm not going to tell you that yet. Um, oh, wait. I just did. Oh, well. Um, but John does not fit into this. Now, so there's some common stories, but John did not, this isn't, it wasn't John's thing. So the perspectives, Matthew, he was a Jew, and he was a tax collector, and he was a disciple of Jesus, and his writing has a lot of message to the Jewish people. 
when you read, he's going to have more references to the Messiah and more. He, he's writing to, from his own perspective, which is to, God chose him so that he could write this to the Jews. John Mark is the writer of Mark, and it's written more for the Greek and the Gentile population. John Mark and Peter were close, and, and Peter is thought to have a, a, a really strong influence in that. But his writing is more for the Greek and Gentile uh, audience. Luke had nothing to do with any of them. He, well, that's not fair. He hung out with, with, with them. But, but he, was not a, he wasn't a disciple per se, and he, but he was a physician, and he was, he's thought to be one of the best early historians ever. I mean, some, Luke is just a great historian, and he has so much history. He's the one that talks about census and so much of the things that go on in Luke. So think about that. God said, okay, I, I, the Jewish people need this message, Matthew. The Gentiles and the Greeks need this message, John Mark. And by the way, I need somebody to write from kind of this historic, to, to bring it all together, Luke. And all three of those come together. And it's a beautiful thing. Luke also wrote Acts, which is a follow-up and to, to the, you know, Jesus. And, and, and a, the historian wrote the Acts of the Apostles, which talks about the early church. And you begin to see the early struggles and the triumphs of that church. Hallelujah, they went through stuff to what we go through is not unique to us but this this tool i don't know if you've seen one it's called a gospel parallel what that is is the three synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke and, and this is mine but there's a lot of different people who did it so what i know you can't see it but that, that has all three of them so this is matthew mark and luke so matthew 11 2 through 6 and luke 7 18 through 23 are telling the same story and it's in one place, so you don't have to bounce around. This is not in Mark. Conversely, these, this is in Matthew, not in either one. And so it does that for you. And, and I love that. In fact, I used this to preach on a Palm Sunday once where I just highlighted and went through the whole story using this. Because then I could tell the whole story without bouncing around. This is a great tool. It's called a gospel parallel. And it takes the synoptic gospels and puts them in one location. You can get this online or you can... Pick one up like that. But it's a powerful tool for your toolbox. Now, I mentioned John, right? The Gospel of John speaks the loudest to the nature of Christ as human and divine. It, it's a great starting point in reading the Gospels. The language is accessible, and it's just cool. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Welcome to John. You know, isn't that cool? And then you find out later that the Logos is Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus has always been. And then you go back to Elohim in Genesis 1, and, and, which is the plural of God. And you go, Genesis 1 and John 1 are bringing together the Trinitarian understanding of who God is. Isn't that cool? It gives me chills. It's like, God is so cool. He's a good writer. <laughs> he, he knows what he's doing, man. <laughs> but I would start with John. That's, where I, that's just where I would start. And then read the other Gospels. Read the Gospel first. Because somebody that we really, really, really need to understand, uh, who, the life, Jesus. Yeah, we need to spend time learning about Jesus. You know, we're following him. If you want to follow some, I mean, it's similar. I mean, if you want to follow somebody even today, what do you do? You learn from them. But that's a great place to start. Reading the Acts of Apostles is a great way to know the early church. Um, so that's where I would start. That's the suggestion I would make. Um, Paul, Pauline theology, the theology of Paul is really critical to the church. He's kind of, 
from a doctrinal and theological perspective, and they're bigger words, but all it really means is doctrine is the things we believe in the church. They're known as doctrines. Theology is the study of the nature of God and, and, um, and religious belief. So that's what we're talking about when we, when we say that. But a lot of our Christian theology comes from Paul. Paul was a prolific writer. He was, you know, God chooses well. Pharisee of the Pharisees, Roman citizen, zealot, passionate about his faith. He's passionate about persecuting, then he was passionate about following. Paul is a great choice. And he wrote a lot of the early letters that addressed issues in the church way, way back. And that's what's wonderful for us is, did you know that we still have issues in the church? Isn't that weird? No, it's been going on since the early Jerusalem council. They were fighting over, should we include the Gentiles? You know, this stuff's been going on since the beginning of the church. Uh, but Paul was the one who addressed a lot of the issues that were going on, and, and, he, sh- and he explained understanding of God and, and, uh, and our belief. You know, he talked a lot about don't get lost in the law, the law of the flesh, but be law in the law of the s- focus on the law of the spirit. And the book of Romans focuses on, it's a detailed uh, theological uh, understanding of Paul. Romans, is a, it's, spend, it's deep, but spend time there. Uh, Ephesians is shorter. So it's almost like Paul started figuring it out in Ephesians, and then he, he went to Romans, and he said, here's the whole thing. Um, but it's powerful. I would also suggest James in conjunction with Romans, and here's why. Paul tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that nobody can boast, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one would boast. James tells us that faith without works is dead. Saved by grace through faith or faith without works. And a lot of folks say those are opposite ideas, but they're really not. Because we are, our salvation, purely grace, not us, God. God says, here's the gift. It's up to you to pick it up. That's our, our call. But our salvation is pure grace of God through faith. Even Paul in Galatians tells us that once you are saved, then you're going to have these fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? Y'all know that song. I can tell because you're singing it with me really well. (laughs) Corey was. (laughs) Um, So even for Paul, who is salvation by grace through faith, he says, but once you're saved, your life is going to reflect it. James is just saying, he's not talking, he's saying that, look, if you say, you can say you have faith, you you show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, once we're saved, which is that gift, it's by grace through faith, our lives will change. Because once you encounter the living God, you cannot help but be changed. And that's the reflection out of it. Uh, Do what? I don't know. I believe so. I think it's, James, it's either James or Lesser or it is. So there's, there's two James in the early church. Um, so, so, so these two things actually come together to seal our understanding. Salvation, grace. Faith is our works going to reflect that salvation. We're not saved by works. 
But if we say yes, then our life ought to, our lives ought to reflect that. So James and Romans together gives us that picture. Genesis is a great place to start in the Old Testament because it's got so much fun, fun stories. Uh, fun might not be the right word. Um, but it's interesting stories. Proverbs has wisdom. Uh, Psalms is inspirational. Just a, a lot of places to start. So these are my thoughts, and you've got this slide. And um, I don't know why I said Reverend Divine. I never use that. Um, but these are my thoughts. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't just try to read the, the Bible straight through from the front to the back. Um, like I said, I tried that, and, I, and it's really hard to do. But I will tell you this. They have these nowadays. Um, you've got that slide, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. So this is a chronological Bible. In other words, this is it's also got readings. It's, for, it's to get through the Bible in a year. But what it does is for like when Isaiah is writing, if you're in Chronicles or, or if you're in one, at, you know, first, like David, he's in Samuel. Um, it, and he wrote Psalms and all that. All of that is going to be in the same place. So it takes when something is written and puts it in that order, which makes it more readable because then you're able to kind of follow the story a little bit better. Um, so th- these, there's more than this, but this is one. Um, <laughs> don't get one of these because <laughs> they're heavy and they're online. BlueLetterBible.com is a great resource as well. Um, this is my first Bible, uh, first kind of, not my, maybe first, but <laughs> it's a little beat up. It's a Ryrie study Bible. I don't get, it's King James version and I don't understand King James anymore. I used to pretend that I did, but I didn't even then. Um, but the study Bibles are, are really good, um, to have. This is the one from seminary. That is the King James. This is a new revised standard version, which is a more up-to-date translation. It's a good translation, um, Study Bible. You're, you're going to hear that a lot. Almost all three of these Bibles that are brought today are study Bibles. This is Common English, which is a kind of a current translation. This is the Wesleyan Study Bible. If you want to learn about Methodism and that kind of thing, this is a Wesleyan perspective. So that's a, another tool. I think that's everything. You notice I had three different translations. Uh, Scripture is translated from at least one language into English. If you've done any work with languages, you know that things don't directly translate very well. So it's important to read more than one translation because you're going to misunderstand if you just go with one. A lot of folks say, well, King James is it. King James is actually translated across two languages to get to English. So, So like Aramaic to Latin to English. So you can imagine. It's got, you know, nothing wrong with King James. Uh, don't miss here. I'm just saying it's translated one more time. So that makes it harder. And the language is hard nowadays to access. It's not very accessible for us who, are not, who aren't old English readers. Now, if you're an English lit major, you got it. You know Chaucer, you can read Chaucer, you can read the King James. You got it covered, you know. Um, but know what you're reading. Uh, but the main point is still the main point. Read me. Read <laughs> the Bible. Get into God's Word. Uh, without God's Word, we're going to get off track. We're going to get swayed into what the world would have us to do. It'll take us away from the truth of Christ. And this is my last point, and this is second most important. This is most important because you will not learn if you do not read. But the second most important thing has to do with an attitude. Who did Jesus give the hardest time to when he was here? 
Pharisees, yeah, Pharisees. He beat them up time after time. And it's easy for us, but why? Because they thought they knew everything, right? You don't want to know something? But they did know everything. They, they were the sharpest of the sharp. They understood Scripture. They, they got it. They knew the rules. They knew the regulations. And they missed Jesus completely because they didn't have any of this. They didn't have humility. They, they were, I know what the Bible says, and by God, you do what I tell you to do. They lost sight of a powerful, powerful thing for us. God has been in pursuit of people since we've been created, since Adam and Eve. You know why? He wants a relationship with us. He wanted a relationship, and he always has. He's always given us free will to choose otherwise, but he wants a relationship. You read the Old Testament, and some of that stuff is tough to read, but you know what it's all about? I want a relationship with my people, the Israelites. You get to Jesus. You know why Jesus came? He wants a relationship, not just. You know what I love about the Christmas story? Jewish shepherds. This is when Jesus came. Jewish shepherds, and the, the Jews were what? The chosen people, and everybody else was unchosen? From the, yeah, it was either or. It was the Jews, and it was everybody else. You know what? Jesus' birth brought together. Jewish shepherds, where'd the Magi come from? They were not Jews. The chosen and the unchosen. From the birth of Christ He's bringing all. You know what all means? He's bringing us all together from the birth of Christ. He wants us to all be together. He brought Jesus. And then throughout the early days of the church, he's, and still doing it, by the way, he still wants a relationship. He was trying to build a relationship with the church, building a relationship with us. That's what he wants. You read it from Genesis through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and it's always going to be that way. God wants a relationship with his people. And that's what Scripture gives us. It's this pursuit of us. So when we study Scripture, we need to embrace the fact that there's going to always be more that we do not know than we do know. Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to know everything. But it doesn't mean we don't strive to learn. doesn't mean we don't seek it because we do. But here's the power of God. You know who convicts sin in people's lives? Is it Mike Devine? Is it you? You know who it is? God is the Holy Spirit, convictor of sin. Still, you know, changes hearts? God, Holy Spirit, changes hearts. You don't, I don't. We be who we are, right? Stand firm in your faith. Not saying that, not, not saying don't stand firm. Stand firm in your faith with a firm grasp and humility. That's the power. God is a living God. What you know today, you're going to think differently 10 years from now. Amen. And I know it was long today. I knew it was going to be long. That's why we only have one more song.